Good morning and welcome to Counterbalance Radio, a talk show featuring progressive Christian perspectives. I am Beth Menhusen, one of your co-hosts for this program. And I am Richard Randolph, also a co-host for Counterbalance. Today we will be exploring science and the resurrection of Christ. We will ask how Christians can reconcile, is it just simply too good to be true? These are timely questions on this holy Saturday, just before we celebrate Easter Sunday tomorrow. But before we get started, please listen to these important announcements from KZUM. Listen. Welcome back to Counterbalance, a new weekly radio show on KZUM. We envision a show that focuses on social, ethical, spiritual, and faith issues from a progressive Christian perspective. Topics will include interreligious dialogue as well as science and faith topics. We've probably all heard conservative Christian perspectives on other radio stations and TV shows. However, we plan to offer an alternative voice for KZUM listeners, an alternative progressive perspective, which is also authentically Christian and which takes the Bible seriously, along with Christian tradition and current perspectives. We've named our new show Counterbalance because we seek to counterbalance more conservative Christian perspectives. I'm Beth Menhusen, one of the co-hosts for Counterbalance. And I am Richard Randolph, your other co-host for Counterbalance. Both Beth and I are pastors at Christ and Connection Point United Methodist Church here in Lincoln, Nebraska, one church in two locations with two different personalities, but with a shared commitment to acting inclusively, seeking God, serving others, and doing justice. That's right. At Christ Connection Point, we strive to welcome, include, and affirm all people, regardless of their ethnicity, economic class, or sexual orientation. We recognize that all people are created in the image of God and loved by God for who they are. For more information about our church, please visit ChristUMCLINC.org and also check out ConnectionPointLNK.org. Today, we will be exploring the resurrection from the perspective of contemporary science, focusing especially on Big Bang cosmology. You know, Beth, as a teenager growing up, I always felt a little ambivalent around Easter time. On the one hand, I love the story of Easter morning and the empty tomb. I love the story of the disciples Peter and John racing to see the empty tomb. And the promise of resurrection was powerful to me. It gave my life deeper meaning because the resurrection promises that death would not be the end of my existence, but merely a passageway to a new and better life with God. And yet, on the other hand, from a scientific perspective, I wondered how the resurrection was even possible. Science made the resurrection seem like just a a fairy tale. It made you feel good, but it couldn't possibly be true. I know what you mean, Richard. Uh, as I spent uh, time kind of as a, as a non-believer myself during college and certainly hanging out with a lot of people who identified as agnostics or atheists, uh, the idea that a, that a person could be resurrected from the dead was always kind of a, a sticking point. And so while for those of us who identify as Christian, it's, it's our greatest hope, it's also kind of that thing that makes us totally crazy um, to, to other people. So uh, I'm excited to explore this topic today on Counterbalance. We're going to take these doubts and questions about the resurrection head on. And towards the end of the show, we hope to take phone calls from you, our listeners. So be thinking about questions which you'd like to ask us about science and the resurrection. 
The phone number to call is KZUM uh, 402-474-5086, and you can use extension 1. But before going into questions, uh, Richard, you have a very special interview to share with us. That's right, Beth. Earlier this week, I recorded an interview with Dr. Robert Russell on science and the resurrection. Bob Russell is an ordained scientist. On the very same day in 1978, Bob graduated from the University of California at Santa Cruz, receiving his PhD in physics. And then later in the afternoon, he was ordained in the United Church of Christ. Shortly after receiving his PhD in physics, Bob founded the Center for Theology and the Natural Sciences, or CTNS as it's frequently referred to. The center, or CTNS, is an academic center at the Graduate Theological Union in Berkeley, California. Today, CTNS is the world's most prestigious center uh, in terms of specializing in science and uh, religious faith. Bob Russell is one of the world's foremost authorities on science and faith. He has written and edited over 17 books on science and religion. For our topic today, one of his most provocative titles is Resurrection, Theological and Scientific Assessments, which is a collection of essays by physicists and biologists and other scientists, as well as philosophers and theologians, thinking about and reflecting on the resurrection and uh, how that relates to uh, contemporary science. Several of his books have been translated into other languages, including Spanish and and Arabic. Bob is also the founding co-editor of the scholarly journal Theology and Science. Over the course of his career, Bob has been an invited speaker all over the world. He's literally traveled all over the world talking about different uh, topics within the the field of science and uh, religion. And finally, Beth, um, in the interest of full disclosure, I need to let our listeners know that I worked for three years at CTNS uh, with Bob Russell. Uh, while I was at CTNS, I was the program director for them. I've heard you talk fondly, uh, Richard, for uh, more than once about your time spent at CTNS and your time working with Dr. Russell, uh, who sounds like a really fascinating person. Um, So you all will get a little taste of that as we listen to this interview, which we recorded earlier this week with Bob Russell, uh, as Richard talks with him about science and the resurrection. This is Dr. Bob Russell. Today I'm interviewing Bob Russell, who is the founder and executive director of the Center for Theology and the Natural Sciences. Um, CTNS uh, is... uh, uh, affiliated with the Graduate Theological Union in Berkeley, California, and uh, Bob is a faculty member uh, on the Graduate Theological Union fa- uh, faculty. So, uh, Bob, welcome to uh, Counterbalance. Uh, thank you so much for agreeing to do an interview with me and uh, to talk to us um, about science and 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 faith. Uh, it's really thank you, Richard, an honor and a privilege to have you. Uh, let's. Let's begin, uh, Bob. Just uh, talk to us a little bit about uh, your organization, the Center for Theology and the Natural Sciences. Can you talk a little bit about its purpose and mission and and, and your vision? Well, as you so well know, good morning, Richard. 
because you are our best ever program director, and you were doing your PhD here. Well, thank you. Uh, yeah, it was great. Um, CPNS's purpose is doing what we're doing right now to um, sponsor the a dialogue and even an interaction between theology and natural science. Um, if you think about a roundtable of people who talk to theologians, what's always been missing at the table is a chair for the natural scientist, a biologist, or a physicist, or a cosmologist. So we created Steepness in 81 to get that project going, and here we are. Great. Well, tell us a little bit more about, about what CTNS does. Uh, you've had a long record of uh, uh, really exciting publications in the area of science and religion. Um, and um, can, you, can you talk to us a little bit about what, what you've accomplished since 1981? Sure. Um, that, that mission I mentioned, it really has, has three kinds of programs, research, teaching, and public service. And so in in research, for example, we did a 20-year collaboration with the Vatican Observatory in Rome, sponsored five major international conferences on theology and science, and published the books in a series of volumes that have really been useful. They're still being used by scholars today and contain a major statement by Pope John Paul II promoting these conversations. Um, We've raised about $28 million from the John Templeton Foundation for major programs one established 336 new courses in science and religion around the world with $10,000 grants per faculty person. Another one brought 120 distinguished scientists together uh, who were persons of faith. And the question they responded to is, for you uh, as a believer, how is the doing of science in itself a spiritual experience? And they talked about it as Christians and Muslims and Buddhists and Jews. It was just an amazing event. We made the cover of Newsweek magazine in uh, 96. Wow. Uh, and of course we have the, the, yeah, the teaching program with GTU. I've got 12 doctoral students right now doing their, their doctorate in theology and science and, you know, looking at questions like how do genetics affect my theological view of the human person or what's the origin, why do we have sin, why is it original sin if there's no fall in the evolutionary context um, or did God create the universe at T equals zero according to the Big Bang and What's the future of the universe like, according to eschatology? Just lots of wonderful topics that we're, we're pursuing. Absolutely. Do you, do you know, by chance, how many doctoral students you've uh, uh, guided uh, over the course of your career, Bob? I, I know it's got to be a tremendous number. Well, I'd say around three dozen, and a lot of them, um, like Nancy Murphy, my first student, you know, went on to have a fantastic career. She's retired now. But she has her own doctoral students who are now tenured, so I... I like to say I have grandchildren in the field. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Yes. Well, uh, CTNS has done uh, just incredible work in terms of promoting a dialogue and interaction between uh, science and, and religion and re- religious faith. And uh, you've been so uh, important in this field and in um, contributing to just um, enabling persons of faith to be able to engage uh, science and to learn from science and uh so uh, we are very privileged to have you this morning. Um, Thank you. We, uh, you've proposed a model for dialogue between science and religion that, that you've called it uh, in certain uh, essays, creative uh, mutual interaction. So right. for our listeners today, can you describe this model and, and give us an example of how science can and should influence theological or, or religious thought? Sure. Um, 
I my me- metaphor or image of it is the Golden Gate Bridge. You know, we're out here in, in the Bay Area in California, and that beautiful you know orange bridge is there. Right. And it takes traffic in both directions. You know, you can go from San Francisco to Marin County going north, or you go from Marin to San Francisco going south, and both directions are fruitful. They're very different. And, but as long as you have a median line so you don't have head-on crashes, you're fine. So the standard way of doing theology and science is what you said. You uh, look at science, you analyze it usually philosophically, and then you import those results into theology in some ongoing conversation. I mentioned earlier, what does it mean to be created in the image of God? That's the right. question. Mm-hmm. If we have an evolutionary perspective on the human person, that's the science. You bring science evolution into uh, theology and talk about anthropology that way. What I've added to that is that southern going direction from theology to science, and, and this sounds like a, a, a forbidden idea or taboo, but really it's, it's happened a lot. And that is to say, when research scientists do their work, typically theoretical work, mm-hmm. they really do have some philosophical assumptions embedded in their research program, and those oftentimes have theological roots. So I'm just making explicit what's going on anyway. Right. So think about the, the debates over quantum mechanics by Bohr and Einstein, and they really debated them, debated quantum mechanics from a philosophical point of view with Einstein's notion of a kind of deistic, spiritualistic God, which is kind of out there, um, and Bohr's um, notion from Copenhagen, um, his meaning there that nature is kind of deeply ambiguous and you really can't resolve nature into clear models. Um, and those are philosophical in root. Um, right. So what I'm I'm saying is it's 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 all as long as you're not appealing to authority, of course, the authority of the Bible or scripture, or, I mean, or, or tradition or church. Right. It's quite natural to talk about these um, dimensions of ongoing research science. Uh, that makes it the creative mutual interaction model. Right. That's that's uh, great. Uh, I think uh, Einstein had uh, in his. Uh, some of his the, uh, theories, the cosmological constant, um, constant right. um, which yeah. uh, uh, was really a theological viewpoint that he had, right? Can you talk a little bit about that? Well, it, it had roots in, in his theology, which was, again, um, definitely kind of drawn from Spinoza that um, God, for him, sort of meant of the ground of being or the giver of the laws of nature. And it just seemed inconceivable to him that the universe could be changing in time, and the size changing in time, which we think it is. Mm-hmm. We know it's expanding, but, I mean, he's the one who discovered the laws uh, of general activity, and he and his colleagues worked out the solutions to the equations, and here's the universe expanding in time. He thought it was so abhorrent that he actually added a term to the equations, so as you said, the cosmos of constant, in which case in you can get a model of the universe which is static, it just sits there. Um, that turns out to be wrong. He was embarrassed by it, called, called it his greatest blunder. But I think it's a really important example of how philosophical views guide your science because his whole career was guided by philosophical views about nature. Um, and sooner or later, you know, scientific theories are falsifiable. That makes them science. So they're going to be falsified. Right. So because his idea was falsified, it doesn't make it not good science. It makes it really good science. Mm-hmm. Very good. Thanks. So uh, we normally think, though, about the ways in which um, science may challenge or offer restrictions on theological thought. And uh, so I'd like to talk about that a little bit. We are uh, now in Holy Week. It's um, Easter uh, Saturday, uh, which is the holy holy high time for Christians, uh, where we remember the death and the resurrection of Jesus of Nazareth. 
Now, one of the core defining beliefs in Christian faith is the resurrection of Jesus and the promise of life eternal for those who are faithful to God. Yet, of course, this core belief appears to be in direct contradiction to what we know and what we can learn from contemporary science. And, and, it, and it contradicts in, in at least two ways that I want to talk about this morning. Um, in the first instance, there's what I call or label the, the common sense contradiction uh, from, a Christian, uh, from a scientific perspective. And that is that death is one way and, and irreversible. Um, biological science offers us no resources for understanding how a person can be really and truly dead and then be uh, resur- resurrected. Um, there's no empirical evidence of anyone ever being truly resurrected from the dead other than uh, the accounts that we read in the Bible about Jesus. And uh, so this goes back to your model, right? Uh, where there's certain points in science that, that uh, or certain uh, uh, realities of science that must influence theological thought and belief. Uh, right. Well, <clears throat> you certainly have to take science seriously. And <clears throat> the challenge science brings to our faith in resurrection. Um, <clears throat> let me just say, and you make this point too, that Resurrection is not resuscitation. That would be really quite odd right. that somehow he came back to ordinary life and had beats him and then died or something. Exactly. That's not the, the that was Lazarus, but not um, Jesus. Yeah. Exactly. And and nor is it that he swooned and fainted and they took him off the cross and revived him, the, the, the near-death kind of notion. Right. Um, so it's really a radical claim that he, he truly died. You know, end, end of story, uh, full stop, he was buried, and that was it. Right. And the disciples kind of scattered, and then, of course, he's found to be the tomb to be missing, and he appears to them in, in, in many beautiful ways, and and, and then ascends to, 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 to heaven. Um, the question is, what do we do with, with science? And first of all, we have to take it seriously. Science does challenge that. We've known that for two and a half centuries of biblical criticism. Mm-hmm. Now, the way I deal with it as a scientist, because I've, I've got my PhD in physics, I'm going to try to be true about it, to say, well, um, science applies if the way the world works is it's the way it usually works, and, 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 and it's kind of dependable and, and repeatable as it is, you know, the sun rises and sets. But I truly believe that God is behind the causality of the world. The, the world isn't governed by laws of nature that sit up there in heaven or something. Mm-hmm. The universe is given its own inherent causality as part of God's creation. And God is free to change that causality, to make new things happen. In fact, that's the whole promise of the New Testament, that new things really are happening, that the kingdom of God is imminent as well as coming. So, in in looking at the resurrection, I look at that as um, an example of the way God will transform not just Jesus into, into the Christ, but the world itself into the new creation promise, say, in Revelation. Um, so here you have a notion of a transformation of the world based on the resurrection of Christ into the new creation and new ways of being in the world. So I think of Christ's resurrection as the first instance of this new way of being. Um, I get that term, first instance of a new law of nature, sort of from Wolfhard Annenberg, one of our century's best theologians. Right. Um, and mm-hmm. in that sense, the issue isn't between science and, and faith. It's between a philosophical view that 
the laws of nature that we now know through science have to hold in all cases forever, full stop, no exception. And that's really a, an assumption from the you know the Anglican philosopher Hume, David Hume, in the 18th century. Right. And I'm simply saying, well, Hume, he, he, he needn't be correct. I mean, it, it could be that God will give nature new ways of being nature in a, create, a, a transformed way that's healed of suffering and death and, and sin. Uh, that's our, our hope. That's our hope in the coming kingdom or the coming reign of God. So I, I really see Jesus' resurrection as the first instance of this new way of being, and I also talk about that in terms of the model of the universe. Um, to, right, right. To talk about too. So, um, Bob, is it fair to say that uh, Jesus' uh, death and resurrection is sort of a cosmic tipping point in, in the history of the universe? Sure. That's Would you go that way? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. I mean, I, I leave it open about, if, if, if you want to really think about the cosmic crisis, I would leave open the question of whether there's intelligent life elsewhere in the universe, right. whether they too are broken and, and, and hurt, violent, and whether they too need salvation. I think they do, and I think you get it through a Christ in their own, in their own uh, evolutionary track. Uh, so I have a many incarnations view of that, but that's, it's still, the Christ event is a unique tipping point event, as you said, it's a nice term, certainly for Earth and probably for the for, universe. For Earth. Yeah, that's a good point about the possibility of life on other on other planets and, and well, whether they would need a, a, a Messiah to come and, and, and the right. existence of sin, that's... Um, we we've actually had many good talks about that over the years, and uh, I'd love to come back and talk about that with you again sometime on sure. counter counterbalance. Um, sure. But in in addition to what we've already talked about, uh, um, in some of your uh, essays and books, you've you've written about how the another um, part of the um, uh, sort of the contradictions or the the rules of, of science that we need to, to take into account uh, when we're talking about the resurrection uh, also comes from uh, physics and particularly contemporary cosmology. Uh, right. And could, could you talk about that a, l- a little bit, about Big Bang cosmology and how that uh, poses challenges to the very concept of uh, a res- resurrection and redemption? Sure, thanks. Um, I sort of touched on it a minute ago, but let's go back and do it a little more thoroughly. <clears throat> if you start with the resurrection of, of Jesus of Nazareth and say what you got is what New Testament scholars call a transformation of Jesus, there are elements of continuity and elements of discontinuity. So it's the same Jesus who was resurrected, not somebody else. Right. Um, and his, his sermon on the mount, everything he said and taught is embodied in that. So it's amazing continuity. I mean, he even has the marks of the of the um, stakes on his, his hands and feet. Nevertheless, he's radically different, and in fact, more profoundly different than he is continuous. And so, I mean, he goes forever. It's a new form of life. He's Lord of the universe. Um, that's got to be a model for eschatology, which is the future hope of that transformation. Right. Uh, and that's important because if you think about the way Paul lays it out in Corinthians 15, 1 Corinthians 15, um, it's because of his Pharisaic belief, um, being a, a devout Pharisee in bodily resurrection, that he can say, well, what's happening here in Jesus is the first instance of what will happen to everyone in the general resurrection of the future. And because he assumes there'll be a general resurrection, he can say, this is astonishing news that beginning to happen already in Jesus, so it's the first instance of a new law of nature. Now, th- th- that's where the real rub comes with science, because if Big Bang cosmology is, is a correct prediction for the future, and again, 
um, it's not a description of the past, for we know the science is probably right, but it's a prediction of the future. Mm-hmm. If that were to come to pass, that the universe expands forever or recollapses, there's no general resurrection in that story. In either case, everything about life has gone in another thousand billion years, and all we have are, you know, our, our cosmic soup of, of elementary particles and photons. Exactly. So, so that's, that's where, you know, Paul didn't have that the challenge, because obviously he was in a different worldview and he didn't have science. Mm-hmm. So if it were the case, if Big Bang cosmology were to hold apodictically, that is necessarily, then we'd have a challenge, obviously. That would that would discredit um, faith, and Boltenberg, to his credit, I mean, uh, sorry, Pannenberg, to his credit, said that to me in, in, in a conference, that if Big Bang were correct, Christianity would be severely challenged. So mm-hmm. people like John Boltenberg, a wonderful colleague of mine and others have talked about how to respond to that. And John coined a nice phrase, which he, I think he gets from Jürgen Moltmann, uh, creatio ex vetera, create, creating the new out of the old. It's not a second ex nihilo, not a second, you, know, you don't fill the universe away and start from scratch with no new creation out of nothing. You transform the universe, creatio ex vetera, into the new creation. And so there are elements for continuity and discontinuity. Basically, that says, the universe's future is not what Big Bang predicts. That's not a contradiction with Big Bang. It's saying Big Bang is a prediction based on the way things are now. But the way things are now, it's not going to be the way they are forever. Right. God will act in a new way. Right. Um, and so that that then opens up some really interesting current research I'm doing on, well, how do you think about the transformation of the universe from the way it is now into the new creation? What are the elements of physical continuity? For example, uh, the laws of mathematics. Right. The Pythagorean theorem is going to hold. Mathematics is, is true. So Bob, Maybe some of the laws of... Yeah. yeah let, let's Go just ahead. stop there for a minute. I want to come back to your, your sure. future re, uh, research, but I, I just want to just sort of want to okay. emphasize what, what you've said already. So in Big Bang uh, cosmology, there are these two future scenarios um, right. about the, what will happen to the universe. One is that the universe will continue to e- expand and expand and expand into infinity. And as that happens, the energy dissipates and the universe becomes a really cold place, too cold to support life as we know it on this planet. Uh, and then there, there's, uh, there are other scenarios where uh, the universe uh, reaches a certain point and then reverses itself and begins to contract and contract uh, and, and until it comes down to that initial singularity, which was the, the point of the Big Bang. And uh, in, in that scenario, uh, as the universe contracts, there's a built-up of, of energy. Energy builds up and builds up, and it gets hotter and hotter until... Uh, until life uh, can no longer uh, stand the conditions, as we, life as we know it can no longer uh, uh, stand the conditions. And so, uh, as you have so poetically put it uh, many times, uh, the two options are basically to, to freeze or to fry. Uh, and in e- either, either one of those scenarios is not good for life. Um, but but um, as as you said, we we know and we trust uh, Big Bang cosmology to describe the, the the past, how the universe began, and and the present. But it's a prediction about the future. And so, uh, what Polkinghorne has proposed is that God, as Creator, is still uh, working in the world, and that God will create um, the the Latin term is uh, that that you use is creatio ex vetere, which means God will create 
create out of the old. Uh, that is to say, God will redeem this present this present creation. Is that is that fair? It is. Let me just, yes, you hit it great. Let me just go back to the science for a second. Okay. It's actually a little worse than you than you pointed out. It isn't that in either scenario the universe, um, the life would be incompatible with the universe, would be too hot or too cold. It's much worse. Um, take the, the expansion one. All of the all of the structures of nature, like animals and planets, will be gone. All you'll have is a is a sea oh, okay. of that many particles. Mm-hmm. And then they'll, they'll go on forever. I mean, forever meaning you know, any trace of, of what it was in the past is forever gone. All memory of it was gone. There's simply no evidence of anything having been ever around except for photons and, 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 and quarks. So, I mean, that, that <laughs> doesn't just rule out life like we know it. It rules out everything. The other one is Fry, and, and again, that actually happens before the universe recollapses and fries. So in either case... There's no possible future for any kind of structure, let alone life. And what I'm saying is, if that holds, and of course it, it, it challenges and, and undercuts um, Christian theology I and mean, Christian eschatology. That's right. And for people like you and me, for whom resurrection is really essential, right. um, it's, it's, it's a real problem, to put yep. it mildly. And I've been thinking about it for a, a long time. Right. Mm-hmm. My point, the edge I, I play on that is to say, well, why do we assume that those predictions are going to are going to be true? Now, I'm not challenging the mathematics of general theory. I'm not saying they haven't solved equations right. Of course, they've done. I'm saying the equations may not necessarily hold. Mm-hmm. That is, if the equations aren't ontological, that is, things existing which which determine nature sort of top down, but which are descriptions of nature's nature's internal causality. And then they can, their descriptions about prescriptions, they don't prescribe the future, they describe a prediction for the future. Mm-hmm. Then if the basis of natural causality is new, those predictions won't hold. So the silver example is if, when you were a director here, if every day we had lunch together, if every day I had a ham sandwich, for three years you could predict the next day I'm going to have a ham sandwich. But if I had a turkey sandwich, I wouldn't have broken the law of nature. I would have changed my mind. Right. Well, God has, in a sort of colloquial way, changed God's mind. God has or fulfilled God's promise all along in a radically new way with Jesus. Mm-hmm. And so we can then say, well... The best we know of the past nature isn't what the nation's going to be in the future. So science simply doesn't hold about the future. Mm-hmm. Not that it's wrong. Right. Or that, it, okay. And then that's where John Bolkenhorn uses his nice term, creatio ex cetera, creation of the new out of the old. Um, and my, what I add to that is simply, well, there's going to be elements of continuity because if God is going to transform the universe, then God created it originally such that it's transformable into the new universe. Um, and that means we can study nature through science to look for those elements of continuity in the present world, which will be there forever in the, in the hall of new creation. Right. So part of my current research is to look for those elements. Well, that's really uh, exciting. Can you say more about your, your, your current research and, and that? Right. Well, I mean... One example is mathematics, um, and John, too, talks eloquently about this, that mathematics um, have a, a kind of eternal status that nature doesn't have in itself. I mean, I can't imagine why the Pythagorean theorem, which we know to be true mm-hmm. analytically, wouldn't be true in the new creation. In fact, I would be willing to, to argue, at least, that all of mathematics will in some ways be there in the new creation. Right. Um, 
And so that gives us a clue about the new creation, about its symmetry, about its beauty, about its intelligibility, um, about its being part of um, how, what we know from the Imago Dei to be true about uh, God's creation. Um, I think we can say other things. I mean, Nancy Murphy's done a lot of work with um, uh, along the line of, of moral truth. So if, if altruistic love is, um, you know, a, a very high form of love that is a kind of close to agape love, and if we have hints of agape love and altruistic love um, in our own life now, whether it be in, in parenting or in, in, in church or in uh, sacrifice for the, our neighbor, the, that truth, those those true ways of being human will be a clue, our clue already as to how we'll be human um, in the new creation. So the, the element of continuity there would be, say, the Sermon on the Mount, Christ's compassion and right. teaching. So then you think, well, okay, what would physics have to be like for that to be um, possible? Well, look at thermodynamics, things um, cool down and, and decay. That's not going to be true of the new creation, but conservation of energy, the, the fact of, that we we can um, act in the world in uh, consistent and intelligible ways because of the way energy is exchanged, that must be, that might very well be an element of the new creation. So you have the first law of thermodynamics, which is the conservation of energy, might hold in the new creation. The second law, the increase of entropy, might not hold. And it's just a, a long process of going through everything you know about nature through physics and cosmology and evolutionary biology, and seeing if there are things which are clues or hints to what you would need to have for there to be a new creation in which we as transformed humans really can be in agape love with each other and with God and be in covenant, uh, as, you know, Revelation and other texts. Right, right. Well, that's that's uh, wonderful. Um, it's such a beautiful uh, Im- image um, as we uh, celebrate Easter uh, this Sunday. Um Wow, this has been a, a great conversation, uh, Bob. I really appreciate you spending some time talking with me, and um, I uh, really appreciate your your uh, understanding and of uh, of resurrection and how it can fit with uh, science. Um, you do say, and, and you touched on it, that you can, we can. You're looking for continuities, uh, but we could also uh, look for discontinuities, such as the second uh, law of of uh, thermodynamics um, and uh, but um, I really uh, like the way we're ending this conversation by focusing on on what ca- would continue into the new creation and especially right. agape love which um, is the core of the Christian uh, belief and the core of what we know about God that God loved us so much that God became incarnated in the person Jesus of, of Nazareth to live with us and uh, to show God's love even uh, to the point of crucifixion. This has been a, a fantastic conversation for me. I, I always appreciate talking with you, Bob, and uh, I think this is, um, you've given our, our listeners uh, a, a lot to think about and to ponder, and perhaps a, a stronger conviction about um, the reality of the truth of God's love uh, and of the re- resurrection. Thank you so much for uh, spending some time uh, with us and uh, and for uh, this interview. Well, Richard, thank you so much for inviting me and raising so many good topics and being such a great dialogue partner. And again, I so appreciate you and all the amazing role you played and do play in the center and in your wonderful life there in the church. And I just hope, wish all of your parishioners a wonderful Easter tomorrow. Well, thanks, Bob. Thank you. Okay. Until we talk Take again. Care. God bless you. God bless you. Thank you. 
Richard, that was a provocative interview with Dr. Robert Russell, founder and executive director of the Center for Theology and the Natural Sciences. But we have to take a break now. And when we come back, we hope to take the listeners' phone calls and questions. So listeners, be thinking about questions which you'd like to ask about science, about the resurrection, about the interplay between the two. And go ahead and give us a call at 402-474-5086, extension 1. We'll be back after the break. You're listening to Counterbalance, Progressive Christian Thoughts, a new talk show here on KZUM. Your hosts are Beth Minhusen and Richard Randolph. We're pastors at Christ Connection Point United Methodist Church, one church in two locations with two very different personalities, but a shared commitment to acting inclusively, seeking God, serving others, doing justice. At Christ Connection Point, we strive to welcome, include, and affirm all persons regardless of their ethnicity, economic class, or sexual orientation. We recognize that all persons are created in the image of God and loved by God for who they are. Today we've been talking about science and the resurrection, uh, reflecting on uh, the, the faith uh, the, the faith that we have as Christians in the resurrection, but also what the science says. We just heard uh, the song Science is Real from They Might Be Giants, and I think I think we both agree that science is real, Richard, but we also have hope in the resurrection, which can seem a, a little crazy in view of science, but we've just heard from um, Dr. Robert Russell, uh, who you interviewed earlier in the week. Uh, he is an ordained physicist. That's not a title that you hear very often. Uh, but it's now, very rare. <laughs> yeah, it's a very rare one. Um, now, though, we'd like to hear from some of our listeners. Just like, what are your thoughts and questions about this science and the resurrection? You can call us at 402-474-5086, extension 1. And if, if you don't call in with your questions, then, then Richard and I are just going to talk a little bit more about what Dr. Russell had to say and about our perspectives on, on science and the resurrection. That's right. So, um, Beth, do as we're waiting for um, listeners to call in, do you have uh, questions uh, that that occurred to you as you were listening to the interview? Yeah. So, um, I was kind of hoping maybe that you could boil down a little bit more for me, since you were the one doing the interview with Dr. Russell, and you know a little bit more about his work. Um, kind of where he went towards the end of that. Um, so he started talking about. Maybe, um, maybe the the theory of Big Bang cosmology, which describes what's happened in the past, which we think describes what's happening in the present, uh, perhaps it does not prescribe what will happen in the future. Uh, I think that's what I heard him say. That's correct. And so, how then he he went from there to talk about um, his work now, looking for for continuities and discontinuities between. Our, our present reality and perhaps a new creation. So his idea, if I'm correct me if I'm wrong, is that maybe Big Bang cosmology will not hold for the future. Right. And in that case, maybe God will do something new, create sort of new laws of nature in which something uh, like the resurrection of Jesus is possible. Right. Um, and so then... So, so then can you take me that next step towards his work on continuities and discontinuities? I didn't quite, I didn't quite catch how the two were related. Okay. So 
Um, one of the first things, let me just say, is that um, it's uh, widely um, accepted in physics that we can conceive of another universe. Uh, in fact, the, um, a lot of the mathematical equations point to the, the, the prospect of there being more than one universe. We live in this universe. This is the universe that we know. It's the boundaries of our understanding and of, of, uh, of uh, our existence. Uh, but uh, there's a possibility that there are other universes, um, what it's referred to as multiverses. Uh, and in addition, um, in quantum, there's also the, um, the, the theoretical possibility that there may be other uh, universes out there, uh, perhaps with, uh, with uh, different uh, dimensions than uh, the, the uh, universe that we live in and understand. And so uh, if there are multiple universes, then it's possible that, uh, in fact, some might say probable that the laws of nature would be different in those different uh, universes. So, um, what what Bob is um, is doing is is saying that you know there's a possibility that the the laws of nature that we understand in this universe now could be transformed in the future. Big Bang cosmology provides, uh, we think, uh, a really good explanation of of the past, of what happened in the past, and of the of the present. But there's no reason to think that it um, may hold in exactly the same way in the far future. And uh, the metaphor he used is, uh, you know, if we have lunch together every day and every day I bring a ham sandwich. Mm-hmm. Um, and so if someone asks you, well, what will Richard bring for lunch today? You have every reason to say, well, he'll bring a, a ham sandwich because I have all of this data that suggest he eats ham sandwiches for lunch. But if I came in with a turkey sa- uh, sandwich, although that would, uh, that would change your, your, your prediction would be wrong, I would not be breaking any of the, the laws of, of nature by eating a turkey sandwich instead of a ham sandwich. So to some degree, uh, when we think about Big Bang cosmology, to say that all of these laws of nature are permanent and will hold forever uh, and ever into the far future, that's a matter of faith. I mean, uh-huh. Basically, that's, that's a matter of faith that the laws will not ever be, be transformed in any way. So um, what John Polkinghorne and Bob Russell and others have suggested is that when we think about God's work as the creator, uh, we need to expand our conception of God's work. We, we understand that God created uh, ex nihilo, out of nothing, uh, and that even after the initial creation, that God continues to be active in the world, cre- creating, and the, the Latin term, if you're interested for that, is creatio continua. Um, and what Polkinghorne has suggested is that it's possible that God's work of creation will continue, uh, and, that at some, and that at this point in time, um, it's uh, a creatio ex vetere, or creation out of the old, or just... Um, uh, more explicitly, uh, the redemption of the world. And so that God uh, God created the world as it is and opened the world up, um, And but at the same time, God uh, planned for this time of redemption when all of the world would, would be redeemed. And it, at that point in time, 
than uh, what Russell and others have suggested is that the laws of nature may be transformed by God's redemptive work so that something that's completely at odds with the laws of nature right now, resurrection, for example, might, uh, in this redeemed world by God, the law, uh, redemption might be perfectly in keeping with the laws of, of nature. Now, uh, when, uh, when Bob talks about uh, uh, continuities, what he's looking for is those things in our present world that we would suspect or predict would continue even in this transformed world uh, uh, and redeemed world, which we anticipate God is is working for even at this time. So what he's saying is he's he's predicting that maybe Big Bang cosmology cannot is not predicting the future, right? And will not continue, but perhaps there's some meaningful things that will continue. Exactly. Okay. Mathematics, for example. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So math, and, and then he says agape love. That's a jump you don't hear very often from math to love, but that's right. <laughs> that's a good one. And maybe we should hear it more often. <laughs> maybe. Um, and so in terms of the resurrection of, of Jesus Christ, which Christians will be celebrating tomorrow, um, his proposal is that, um, that Jesus resurrection is kind of, a like a, a foretaste or, or an inbreaking of what we might all experience. Exactly. When, when God does that, that new thing for all of us. Exactly. Right. Awesome. It's, it's the, it's the end breaking of the, the reign of God into the natural world as we know it. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, uh, in, in a way that becomes the, the, the prediction for the future of all creation. That becomes the promise, the, of, the promise. of the future. Right. There we go. Um, so, um, this this assumes again. Let me just reiterate. This assumes a broader view of God, the Creator, that God created the world, uh, but that God continues in this work of of creation, and that creation becomes redemption. Mm-hmm. So that uh, God uh, is now busy uh, re- redeeming the world, and um, at at that point in time. Um, the world will be redeemed and uh, and transformed in a way that would allow for uh, re- the resurrection. And I think it's important uh, to realize that uh, this understanding of God as creator, this broader understanding, uh, in this broader understanding, it's not just human beings that are re- that are redeemed, but it's the entire creation. All of creation mm-hmm. is is redeemed. So that. Uh gives gives me some hope at least in light of our conversation last week about climate change right. um and the the destruction that we are seeing here on earth uh because of our our co2 emissions and our other other pollution and our, and our wastefulness um so not only does does the re- resurrection point to a time when when we will be redeemed as human beings you're saying that it also points to a time when all of that just th- that destruction that that we've wreaked on the world, um, that might be healed exactly. and, and made new as well. That's right. That's right. Um, and uh, another thing to think about, um, something that I know Bob uh, thinks about a lot, and, and I do as well, is the whole um, the whole idea of evolution. Um, so um, the process of of evolution is a uh, a brutal, cruel 
uh, process in which species are no longer fit for their uh, their environmental setting, and so they become extinct, extinct through this natural uh, selection process. Mm-hmm. So when when you step back and look at that, that's that uh, the evolutionary process is is messy and it's painful and and there's a lot of suffering and there's the extinction of of, of species and so part of this understanding of God redeeming the entire world is that is that uh, from this perspective um, evolution um, and the extinction of species that it has to be make sense in terms of uh, a redeemed world in which God loves all of creation and so this understanding of redemption includes all of the all of the pain and misery that we know has that has gone on for thousands of years through the process of evolution you're, you're saying that that would all that pain and misery would come to an end right exactly in the redemption exactly and and there in some ways it would make sense i mean if we there, there's scriptural uh warrant for that if we go to the the book of Revolu- of Revelation mm-hmm. in the twenty first chapter, uh, there's that vision of God coming down to earth. Mm-hmm. I mean, literally the divine coming down to earth. Uh, the 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 writer speaks of the new Jerusalem coming down to earth, and then there's that that beautiful line that that when God's reign is established, there will be no tears. God will wipe away all of the tears, and uh, there will be no pain and no suffering because God will, will, will make it better. Right. And that's, that's really a, a beautiful vision for the future of the world that, that we believe that the, the resurrection points to. Right. And, and when we say world, we really mean the, the, the universe. universe. Yeah. Um, I, I thought it was really interesting in the, in the interview. He caught me on, on that point. He said, you know, really, Richard, it's not just the cosmic uh, tipping point for this earth, but right. we got to think about the entire universe, and uh, and and he's right about that. Yeah, Absolutely. he started getting into life on other planets and those things. We talked about that in one of our uh, our beta radio shows. Um, That's right, a couple of months ago. That's right, and but so- there's. There's still a lot of talking to do in that, and maybe we could invite Bob back. Yeah, sounds like that, he would. Episode. Sounds like he would like to talk about that some more. Uh, absolutely. So uh, I think what we have what we've explored on this show is just really how well, and I found it interesting. Bob pointed out that um, this this conflict uh, between that that we've always perceived as being between science and faith in terms of you know. People don't come back from the dead. You know, right. there is no resurrection, which is the scientific perspective. And the faith perspective, which is Jesus came back from the dead, um, isn't really a, a conflict between science and faith, but between um, philosophy and faith. Uh, he talked about how, how Hume uh, is, is the one that said the laws of nature uh, as they are now are always going to stay the same. And I found that interesting that... Um, what we've always perceived to be one way uh, might indeed uh, a conflict between science and faith might indeed be more of a conflict between philosophy and faith. And that's interesting because philosophy and faith have always been perceived as working better together. Um, Especially early on um, a lot of theologies to talk about God and faith grew out of, uh, out of philosophy 
So, um, so I thought that was an interesting point. Richard right now is um, taking a call that we are going to put through on the phone. Richard, who are we? Who are we with? We are with Pat. Pat, can you hear me? I can't, I can't hear you. Um, trying to figure this out. Pat, can you can you talk to our listeners for a minute? Pat, um, right. we may have lost the. I think we might have lost the, the call, call. But, but uh, what Pat wanted to know is if there's any empirical evidence uh, that the laws of nature can change, which is a profound question. Yeah. Thank you so much, Pat, for that that question. Um, so, in. The, the, the answer to that is, a short answer to that is that um, there's no uh, empirical uh, evidence in terms of we can point to this or that in nature. Uh, however, some of the cosmo, my understanding is that some of the cosmological uh, models uh, which we've developed, which are, are based in large part on, on mathematical equations, that those mathematical equations suggest that, yes, indeed, there could be universes in which, uh, in, in which the laws of nature are, are radically different than the laws of nature that we have in this universe. But so the, the point that, um, that Robert Russell and John Polkinghorne are making is that it's possible that through God's redemptive work at some time, uh, the laws of nature uh, could be transformed for the for the universe, uh, making possible uh, the, the the resurrection uh, not only of Jesus but of 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 all people. Yeah, um, that definitely is is a profound question that's worth pondering. Um, but right now, Richard, that is all the time that we have for today. Thank you so much, Pat, for calling in with that question. Sorry we couldn't put you on the air, um, but I'm glad that we were able to address to address that for you. Uh, today we've been discussing science and the resurrection, uh, featuring an interview with Dr. Robert Russell from the Center for Theology and the Natural Sciences. You've been listening to Counterbalance, a progressive Christian talk show hosted by Beth Minhusen and Richard Randolph. Be sure to tune in next Saturday from 10, 9 until 10 a.m. In recognition of Earth Day, which is this coming Monday, our focus next week will be on churches which have made major commitments towards becoming uh, environmentally sustainable. Join us as we talk with representatives from the Unitarian Church of Lincoln and from Aldersgate United Methodist Church, also here in Lincoln. Goodbye, and until then, have a happy Easter, everyone. <laughs>